For a long time, it had drifted along on its own, abandoned by the pair of astronauts who had originally docked with it. It had circled the Earth innumerable times since then, likely to be left alone until the gradual drag of friction would sap its velocity enough to pull it down into the atmosphere and torch it to ash. It was a fate shared by many an uncrewed spacecraft as humanity began to push beyond the boundaries of the atmosphere. But before it could descend low enough to even skim the upper layers of the sky, something miraculous happened. Another spacecraft appeared ahead of it, drifting nearer with little puffs of gas emitting out into space as it maneuvered. It was another Gemini. Two more astronauts on board, eager to make use of the functional Agena target vessel which had been left alone above. Its part in the history of spaceflight wasn't finished yet. Welcome to episode 33 of Frontier of Infinity, Double Feature. Where we last left off, Gene Cernan and Tom Stafford shot spaceward aboard Gemini 9, where they were supposed to perform a second orbital rendezvous and docking maneuver. The rendezvous was a success, but a malfunction in the fairing on the Agena docking target meant that no docking could be done. A second American EVA was also undertaken, but an overly ambitious plan saw Gene Cernan quickly exert himself to the brink of exhaustion, placing him in real danger. A test of the newly designed astronaut maneuvering unit had to be abandoned, but he managed to survive. The crew returned safely to the Earth, though many a lesson was learned by mission control. In this episode, we're pushing on with Project Gemini with Gemini 10. Despite the lessons learned from the Gemini 9 experience, the fact of the matter for NASA was that there were only three planned flights left in the Gemini program, and thus all of the project's remaining goals had to be achieved within those three missions. Gemini 9 served as a case study in overambition leading to near catastrophe, but the way the NASA mission planners saw it, they had no choice but to assemble a 10th Gemini flight with a fully loaded and complex plan. There was to be more rendezvous practice and more docking practice, this time making use not only of a new Agena launched specially for the mission, but also taking advantage of the Agena from the Gemini 8 mission, with which Neil Armstrong and Dave Scott had docked. It was still in a stable orbit, resting relatively high, and thus it was just waiting for a new Gemini to come along and dock. But as an added layer of complexity, the Gemini capsule would not rendezvous with the older Agena alone. It would do so while still attached to the newer Agena, requiring the crew to maneuver their docked spacecraft into a higher orbit before performing the second rendezvous with the combined vessel. There was also another EVA planned, but here the mission planners made sure not to make the same mistake they had made with Gemini 9. This one would be much simpler, 
and would focus on building skills incrementally. The astronaut maneuvering unit was abandoned, replaced instead with a longer supply umbilical and an improved version of the zip gun Ed White had used on his EVA. There were experiments and tasks to be completed once outside the capsule, but they were a good deal simpler than anything Gene Cernan had been asked to do. The primary crew would be comprised of Gemini veteran John Young, who flew as pilot on Gemini 3, as well as Michael Collins, who would be making his first spaceflight. Collins was born on Halloween night in Rome, Italy, into a military family. He bounced around between a number of different cities as a boy, but graduated from West Point in 1952 before also pursuing a degree from Harvard Business School's Advanced Management Program. With an uncle serving as Chief of Staff for the U.S. Army, Collins made the decision to join the Air Force, in part an attempt to avoid accusations of nepotism. He trained as a pilot in Mississippi and Nevada, learning to fly the F-86 Sabre before he was assigned to the 86th Fighter Bomber Wing based out of George Air Force Base. He was deployed to a pair of assignments in Europe before returning to the United States, where he shifted his focus to test piloting at Edwards Air Force Base. With over 5,000 hours of logged flight time, he applied and was accepted as part of the third class of American astronauts. On July 18, 1966, the Atlas carrying the Gemini 10 Agena lifted off in the afternoon, later than the usual early launches NASA liked to perform. But the launch of the Agena and the Gemini had to be timed so as to optimize the rendezvous with the Gemini 8 Agena. Gemini 10, with Young and Collins on board, followed just over an hour and a half later, and reached space without issue. The mission was on, and the first rendezvous could get underway. Collins got started using his sextant to take a navigational reading, but he mistook the airglow effect, a halo of glowing atmosphere which appears around the Earth as the horizon, and thus his calculation differed rather severely with mission controls. Using mission controls figures, Young piloted the spacecraft into a higher orbit, but a series of corrective burns used to orient the spacecraft correctly used an alarming amount of fuel. They'd have to be very careful as they moved forward. Over the course of nearly six hours, the Agena was located, the rendezvous was made, and then Young and Collins eased their spacecraft up to it and gently docked. The first phase of the mission was a success. The mission plan called for the Gemini to release the Agena and then redock several times so as to gain extra practice with the maneuver, but the low fuel reserves remaining in the Gemini saw mission control cancel that part of the plan. One docking maneuver would have to suffice. So, the next phase of the mission could begin. The plan called for the astronauts to make use of the Agena's rocket motor to adjust their orbit higher, and thus set themselves up for the second rendezvous with the Gemini 8 Agena. The numbers were run on the ground, and then the necessary figures were beamed up to the capsule. Precisely on schedule, Collins and Young lit the Agena's engine and were thrown forward in their seats, 
their shoulders pushing against their restraints, as the Agena accelerated the combined spacecraft to a velocity of 289 miles per hour, or about 465 kilometers per hour. As the Agena's engine was facing the same direction as the nose of the Gemini, where it coupled with the Agena, Young and Collins were able to witness the rocket's burn from very close range, the first time such a thing had been possible in space. The Agena engine steadily lifted the spacecraft into a higher orbit over the course of an 80-second burn, finally leaving off with an apogee of 474 miles, or about 763 kilometers, higher than any human being had ever flown before. With a new record set, and the combined spacecraft in place for the next part of the mission, Young and Collins took their first rest. When they returned to duty 18 hours after launch, they initiated a fresh burn with the Agena engine, this time slowing their velocity and setting up for the second rendezvous. With some time to spare, they set in on a number of the experiments they had brought along. One of these, which required the cabin to be depressurized so that Michael Collins could stand up out of the hatch and take ultraviolet photographs of the Milky Way, failed because both astronauts' eyes began to tear up, an issue that was attributed to the ventilation system. A second sleep period was had, and then a third burn was made to bring their orbital path in line with that of the Gemini 8 Agena. As they approached the Gemini 8 Agena, the Gemini 10 Agena was jettisoned, and Michael Collins made ready for his EVA. Young maneuvered the Gemini to within just 10 feet of the old Agena as Collins made ready to leave the capsule. Mission Control was busy performing fuel calculations, trying to determine if the capsule had enough fuel on board to continue with the mission as planned. They determined that they did, and then gave the go-ahead for the EVA prompting John Young to reveal that it was a good thing they did because Collins was already on his way out of the capsule. Once in open space, Collins found that movement was difficult, and every task took longer than he anticipated. But unlike Cernan, he was able to check off the items on his list without too much issue. He retrieved a micrometeorite collector on the side of the Gemini and then floated freely across the gulf which separated the Gemini from the Agena. He grasped a hold of the Agena and grabbed for the experiment package there, but he had a hard time keeping his grip on the smooth skin of the Agena. There were few handholds to be used, and he lost his grip completely, beginning to drift away from the old spacecraft. Collins was faced with a choice. He could try to use his umbilical line to reel himself back toward the Agena at the risk of it coiling up around him, or he could rely on the improved zip gun, which could release bursts of gas to provide thrust. He opted for the gun and managed to return to the Agena, this time taking more care to find stable handholds before he set to work removing the experiments package. Once it was free, he returned to the cockpit of the Gemini and handed the package off to Young. He was going to let out more of his umbilical and test the zip gun farther away from the spacecraft, but Mission Control shot the idea down, citing concerns about fuel consumption. He became entangled in the umbilical during his attempt to return to his seat, and concerns were growing over the fuel situation, 
but Collins managed to get back inside nonetheless and then dumped his chest pack and twisted supply line overboard before closing the hatch. One final orbital adjustment brought them to a lower orbit, and they slept for a third time. Upon waking, a few more experiments were carried out, and then the Gemini started back down for the Earth. Re-entry was easy, and the capsule splashed down in the Atlantic, where it was picked up by the USS Guadalcanal. All in all, Gemini 10 was a success. It provided a good deal of extra experience for both the astronauts and mission control in rendezvous and docking, as well as in orbital maneuvering with two docked spacecraft. All of this would be vital for Apollo, and it was great for NASA that they were able to master those skills before that program even started to fly. However, EVA was still the big mystery. It was difficult, it was dangerous, and it was unpredictable. Granted, Michael Collins' EVA had been much smoother than Gene Cernan's, but there were still many unanswered questions regarding what could and could not be reasonably done in space. When next we return, we'll take a look at the next Gemini flight and see how NASA fares as they near the end of the program. As always, thanks to all of you for listening. If you like this show and you'll want to help me out, please follow the podcast, share it with your friends and family, and leave it a rating if you feel so inclined. It really does help. Our theme music is Crossing the Universe by Esther Garcia. You can listen to the full track and more of her music on Spotify. Until next time, I'm Tom. This is Frontier of Infinity. I'll see you among the stars.